0: Good morning. Good morning. I'm Jeremiah, uh, and it's really, really, really nice to be here with you guys this morning. It's, a, it's an honor to be a, a part of this congregation, and it's exciting to join you guys in the work that you're doing here. And um, that's really all the introduction I have for the sermon. Uh, so let's dive in. Um, I will say this, though. Derek gave me the clicker this morning, so if anything goes wrong on the screen, it's my fault, not Derek's. Um, we but i'll blame it on him anyways thanks dj i appreciate that uh so we are going to if you have your own bible with you and you want to follow along in your copy uh we're going to start in matthew chapter four but we're eventually going to be in all four gospels today uh bouncing around just a little bit so uh, feel free to follow along on the screen uh or um you can uh, play keep up with me in your copy of the scriptures if you want uh meg mentioned last week that that we are transitioning from talking about spiritual formation how disciples are are formed, how we are formed into the likeness of Christ, to talking about discipleship, what it means to live as a disciple, uh, as someone who has been formed into uh, the image of Christ. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to to talk about what it is to be a disciple. Uh, What are disciples? What do disciples do? How do disciples live? Uh, Those kinds of questions, and we want to try to tackle that over the next few weeks. Um, The word disciple is something that gets used in the church uh, fairly regularly. Outside of the church, not quite as much. It is fairly prominent in the scriptures. The word disciple appears in the scriptures 269 times in 253 verses in the New Testament. It's not used at all in the Old Testament, only in the New Testament. And all but 30 of those times are in the Gospels. 30 times it's used in the book of, the, of Acts, the other 239 times that the word disciple or disciples or some variation of that word shows up, it's in the New Testament, uh, in, the, in the four Gospels. Uh, and so that seems like something that's fairly important to the Gospel story. Um, this, this word that, that we use, we ought to know what it is. We ought to know what it means. We ought to know what a disciple does and how a disciple behaves if disciples are are talked about that often. In fact, uh, the word disciple or disciples or some variation of that word uh, appears in the New Testament more times than the word mercy or grace or peace or resurrection or salvation or pray. Like those words seem like very important words. We talk about those words a lot, but the word disciple shows up even more than those. Maybe we ought to know something about it. And so uh, we want to take some time to, to dive into that and, and get to know what this is um, uh, about being a disciple. Some of the times that it's used, it's referring very specifically to the 12, uh, the, the the men that we know as apostles of Christ. Sometimes it's referring to the disciples of someone else, like the disciples of John the Baptist or the disciples of the Pharisees. Uh, and sometimes it's a very generic word, just disciples in general, people who follow Jesus, uh, besides the 12, beyond the 12, people like you and I. Uh, the word disciple actually predates the word Christian in Christian uh, vocabulary, in Christian vernacular. We were called disciples before we, will, we were called Christians. We weren't called Christians till the, um, the second half of the first century, at least. Um, and... Uh, um, Christian actually means little Christ, and we got that name because of how we lived as disciples, as people who were following Jesus. At its most basic, uh, at its most basic definition, disciple means a, a pupil or a learner, uh, or a follower, uh, someone who is studying always under a teacher. You can't be a disciple if you don't have a teacher. Uh, those words are always juxtaposed uh, uh, together. Um, at a more um, more broad level, it's, it's someone who is following someone else, and in our context, it's someone who is following Jesus. That's what a disciple is, somebody who's following Jesus, somebody who said, "I want Jesus to be my teacher. I want to know what He knows. I want to do what He does, uh, do what he does." <laughs> it's, it's been uh, several months since I've preached, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> I want to do what He does. I want to go where he goes. I want to live how he lives. Um, This is what it means for us to be a disciple. We have said those things. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to follow him. Um, And so uh, today I want to dive into the Gospels a little bit, just just to set some preliminary groundwork and and see um, what it means to follow Jesus and look at some times where people actually do have the opportunity to follow Jesus and see what happens in their lives and and see what we learn. And the first thing that we're going to discover is that following Jesus uh, always means leaving something else. In order to follow Jesus in the Gospels, people have to leave something. And um, for a lot of people living in our context today, that doesn't ring true. Living in um, modern Western American culture, you can be a Christian. You can apply that name to yourself without really changing anything about the way that you live. Um, You can still hold the jobs that you want to to hold. You can still go on vacation where you want to go on vacation. Still watch the television programs that you want to watch, read the books that you want to read. spend your money how you want to spend your money Uh, there is in our context it doesn't feel like we really leave a lot behind in order to be a Christian you can worship at any one of any number of churches in every small town village and city in America nobody's stopping you from doing that you can wear Christian clothing or jewelry or put a Christian bumper sticker on your car and that's perfectly fine. Nobody's going, to, nobody's going to come after you for that. Um, you, can, you can identify yourself as a Christian or not. Nobody's making you sign up and register um, with any particular agency um, under that name. You can decide for yourself. It's, being a Christian is just one thing that gets tacked onto the rest of our lives for the most part in our context but that's not true in the gospel context. And so I want to show you that um, real quickly in a few places. Uh, We're going to go to Matthew chapter 18. uh, Sorry, Matthew chapter 4, uh, beginning with verse 18, um, and see what happens as Jesus begins to call people to be his disciples. So here's uh, verses 18 through 20. As he, that's Jesus, as he uh, walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. By the way, total aside, I love it when the Bible does this. Thank you, Bible. We would not know why they were casting a net into the sea if you had not told us they were fishermen. Um, I love it when the Bible does stuff like that. They're casting their net into the sea, for they were fishers. Uh, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. And immediately they what? Left, right? They left their nets and followed him. Immediately they, they leave something in order to follow Jesus. That, that is, it must happen this way in Peter and Andrew's context. They cannot follow Jesus and hang on to their nets at the same time. Just, it doesn't work that way. And that's not, like, that's not an oddity. That's not an anomaly. That's the norm in Scripture, Here's the the very next couple of verses. Um, uh, let's see if I can do this. Oh. There we go. As he went on from there, this is verses 20 and 21. As he went on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they, what? Left. They left uh, their boat and their father and followed him. We've got people leaving nets. We've got people leaving boats. We've got people leaving fathers. We we have people leaving things in order to follow Jesus. There's an understanding that I cannot be a disciple if I do not follow. Uh, Over to another gospel story. Uh, This is Luke chapter 5. Verses 27 and 28, after this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax collection station and he said to him, follow me, and he got up and what? Left. Left, in this case, left everything and followed him. Left his probably his job, left his booth, left his profession, left his way of life, left his... um, honestly, tax collectors did not have good standing among the Jewish people. they were They were not well liked by their their neighbors, but they were they had high station under Roman law, had a lot of protection under Roman law. He left all of that protection. Um, and all of all of the all of the good things that he had because he was a tax collector, He said, "I'm going to have to leave this behind and, and follow Jesus." Uh, in the gospel back in Matthew in chapter eight. Verses 21 and 22, another of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. This is a really troubling passage of scripture. We don't know 100% what it means, uh, but scholars are pretty sure that like, this isn't happening the day of his father's funeral. Okay, uh, It's not like the guy's like, I, hey, Jesus, I've got to go. Like, the service is about to start and, and then I'll be back. What he's probably saying is something along the lines of my father is getting up there in years. At some point, sometime, soon-ish, he'll pass away and then I'll be able to follow you. And, and Jesus says, no, um, that's, that's not going to work. You're going to have to leave um, that situation. You're going to have to leave that place in life if you're going to follow me. And all that forces us to ask ourselves, um, what do I need to leave behind in order to follow Jesus? Have I had to leave something behind? Have I fooled myself into believing that I can follow Jesus without leaving something behind? Do I, do I, do I convince myself that I can have everything that I want about living in Cincinnati and in America and in the life that I have and follow Jesus and that those two things can can coincide together? Or have I begun to understand that I have to leave behind something in order to follow Jesus? And we're going to explore that question over the next few weeks. Um, but I wanted to say up front, as we begin talking about being a disciple, that being a disciple means leaving something else. Following Jesus means leaving something else. and And that following Jesus also, we need to know this, is... This is going to sound really funny, but hang with me for a second. Following Jesus is not the same thing as obeying commands. Those two things are not the same thing. All right? Don't get me wrong. Followers of Jesus should obey God's commands. That can be a part of following Jesus, but those two things are not synonymous. Those two things are not the same. To just just say, all I have to do is follow a certain set of religious orders and behave in a particular religious way, and then I am a follower of Jesus. That is not the the picture that the Bible gives to us. Um, And so I'm not saying like, hey, we've got a license to do whatever. We don't have to follow commands. No, that's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that there's more to following Jesus than simply obeying a set of instructions. Let me share another story from the scriptures with you. This is in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Uh, And uh, maybe is a familiar story to you. Uh, This is someone who um, comes to Jesus and asks how to be a follower. Uh, as he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him. I love the Gospel of Mark because everything is super important and super urgent. Everything happens fast in Mark. Somebody runs up to Jesus and, and asks him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That sounds like an important question, right? That's a question that I have. What do I have to do in order to find real life? What do I have to do in order to find the life that God has for me? What do I have to do in order to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. We're going to set that aside for a minute. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these commandments since my youth Jesus looking at him loved him and said you lack one thing go sell all of your possessions sell all that you own give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me this guy comes to Jesus and says I want eternal life I want a life that matters, I want real life, and, and what do I do to get it? And Jesus says, well, well, you know all of the commandments, and then he lists about half of the Ten Commandments. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments are kind of broken into two commandments that have to do with our relationship with God, commandments that have to do with our relationship with other people around us, and he, Jesus quotes all of the second uh, set of those commandments. He goes, treat other people the way that God wants you to treat them, essentially is what Jesus says. And the guy comes back and says, I have kept all of those commandments since I was a youth. It is absolutely flabbergasting to me that the guy says this, first of all. And it's absolutely bewildering to me that Jesus doesn't like roll his eyes at him hard in the second place. Because I have not been able to keep all of those commandments. Nobody I know has been able to keep all of those commandments. It's, it's a little bit the height of hubris for this guy to say, I have kept all of these commandments. And, and, and Mark just says that Jesus looks at him and loves the guy. Like, there's no mention by Jesus of like, ah, oh, you're a fibber, no, you haven't. No, he just he accepts it at face value. This is a guy who is trying his best to follow God, and Jesus loves him. All right? I, I am tempted to kind of put this guy down. Jesus doesn't. Jesus just loves the guy, and he tells him, there's still one thing that's lacking in your life, Tells him to go sell everything that he has and give to the poor. And we think that's the one thing, and it's not. That's not the thing that he lacks. The thing that he lacks comes at the very, very end of the sentence, it's the last two words. What's the thing that he lacks? Follow me. The thing that he lacks is Jesus. In order to follow Jesus, Jesus recognizes the guy's going to have to leave something behind. In this case, it's not nets or boats or fathers. In this case, it happens to be great wealth. It happens to be what this guy has. And Jesus says to him, you're going to have to leave this behind if you want the one thing that you need in order to find the life that you're looking for. Something has to get left behind. But also notice that, that this guy says he's obeyed all the commandments and Jesus goes, that's great, there's still something more. Right? Because following Jesus is not the same thing as following commandments. Guys followed all of the commandments, and he still lacks something. Listen, you can obey. you can obey the Bible and the teachings of Christianity, and never really dedicate yourself to following Jesus. And a lot of Christians have fooled themselves into thinking that they are following Jesus when all they're really doing is following rules. We've got to let that go. All right? It's not about following rules. It's about following Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves, Are we just going through motions? Are we just showing up to church? And are we just giving our offering? And are we just singing songs and we're following a framework and doing good Christian things? Or are we trying to walk in the same way that Jesus walked? So following Jesus um, means leaving something behind. And following Jesus is not the same thing as following rules. And ultimately, following Jesus is... Well, ultimately, following Jesus is your choice. Following Jesus is your choice. Jesus uh, never forces anyone to follow me. He, he never gets out a sword or a spear and says, hey, on penalty of death, you follow me. He never, never forces anyone, he never brainwashes anyone, never does a, a miracle to, to force someone to follow him. He simply invites them. Come follow me, come follow me, come follow me. And some people say yes. Peter and Andrew and James and John and Levi, they all said yes. And there are lots of other people in the Bible who have said yes. And there are a lot of people down through the centuries who have said yes. And a lot of us have said yes. I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to leave behind an old way of living. I'm going to walk in the way of Jesus. But not everybody does. Not everybody accepts that invitation to follow Jesus. In fact, this guy here in this story in um, Mark is one of those guys. The, the story um, ends in, in verse 22. and says this, when he heard this, when the rich man heard this, he was shocked and he went away grieving for he had many possessions. This guy decides as much as I want life, as much as I want Jesus, I want something else more. Then maybe he didn't say it like that, maybe he didn't frame it that way in his own mind, but that's what's going on in his heart for sure. There's something else that's more important than Jesus for this guy, and it's one of the saddest verses in all the Gospels. And I don't know what could have been if this guy made a different choice. Like, does this guy become one of the 12? Do Do we then, like, find out his name? Does he have a place down through the centuries of, of honor in the church? I don't know, maybe. Maybe we never know his name. Maybe he just he goes on to, to live a, just a, a life for Jesus, and we'll get to meet him someday. Unfortunately, in the story, he walks away shocked and sad. He can't do what Jesus has asked him to do, and that is his decision. Ultimately, he couldn't give up what he had in order to gain the one thing that he needed many people walk away in fact in the gospels it happens a lot we always think of jesus as having like 12 people that that wandered around with him but the gospel stories when you read them jesus has hundreds of people that are following him sometimes he has thousands of people that are wandering around the wilderness with him like thousands of people at given times, are following Jesus until Jesus really begins to lay out like, what his kingdom is all about. And then like, there's a moment in the scriptures where people just leave. A lot of them. And he really kind of does get down to 12 guys after that. Thousands of people walk away. We would call that abject failure today. If you had a following of thousands of people and they all just bolted and you were left with 12. But Jesus lets that be their choice. Uh, This is in in John uh, chapter 6. After uh, all of those thousands of people have walked away, immediately on the heels of that, this is what happens. Thousands of people have just walked away. John chapter 6, verses 67, 68, and 69. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Your choice. Your choice. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I appreciate Peter so much. Uh, He shoves his foot as far down his throat as he can on almost every occasion that he opens his mouth in the New Testament. But here, he says something amazingly beautiful. Where else can we go? Where else can we go? Jesus, you have the life that we're looking for. You're the one that comes from God. Where else are we going to find that, Jesus? And the 12 make a choice to stay staying with Jesus following Jesus because they believe that there's real life there, that there's eternal life there. Which, of course, forces me to ask the question, what about me and what about you? Following Jesus is the choice that many of us have made. Maybe you haven't yet. That choice is up to you. You should know that that choice costs. It's supposed to. That choice means leaving something behind. It might mean leaving your nets behind, leaving behind a a work that you enjoy because God's calling you to something else. It may mean leaving a family behind because they're not ready to walk on that journey with you. It may mean leaving wealth behind and using it a different way than for yourself. It may mean leaving something else behind. But following Jesus always costs. And following Jesus is more than just ritual obedience. It's not enough just to show up to church. It's not enough just to obey commandments. There's a whole new kind of life that Jesus calls us to. As he calls us to leave old things behind. And over the next few weeks, we want to talk about that life and what it looks like. And so I'm really excited, Um, Meg and Marty and I and are going to be able to share some of those things over the next few weeks with you, and, and I'm looking forward to that. And I hope that, that you'll join us for that discussion about what it means to be a disciple, knowing that it's going to mean leaving something behind and choosing Jesus to find that whole new kind of life um, that's in him. We're going to uh, move into a time of communion. Uh, And as we do, uh, this is a time of reflection. Uh, Today I'd like to invite you to reflect over what it means to be a disciple as you come to the communion table. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? We, uh, Many of us have become his disciples because we believe, like Peter said, that there's life with Jesus. That's why we're with him. He has the life that we're looking for. He has eternal life. He has a meaningful life. He has a meaning-filled life. We've come to him willing to give up things and life because we believe that we gain something better. We follow Jesus because we believe that that way leads us toward God. We stay with Jesus because we believe that we've found real life there. So I want to invite you to reflect on those things um, as we come to a communion table that's set before us. Um, As we do uh, each week, when we come to communion, we come confessing that we are not perfect people and that we are in need of Jesus always. Not just once in our life, but again and again and again. Uh, So I want to invite you into a time of confession with me. And then uh, after that, You're welcome to come and take the elements, take them back to your seat, and when everybody uh, has had a chance to do that, we'll take communion together. Right now, would you uh, join me in reading this uh, confession together? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. Glory of your name. Amen.